Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, antijpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. Yo, super pumped to share this episode with you. This is a special occurrence because we've never done this before. It's called a pod swap. So this is this episode is me being interviewed by or having a chat. It's it's chill with Johnny Pemberton for his podcast live to tape. And it was so I was so pumped about the conversation. There was so much stuff that came out that stuff that I have wanted to tell you about my creative career path, the stuff from the Skillshare class, and just a bunch of ideas that I'm really jazzed about right now. And so I thought, I want to share this with all of my listeners. You know, I like the energy of being on other people's podcasts. There's something I like being in that hot seat, and I like the kind of stuff that comes out that doesn't come out regularly on this show. And so I wanted to share this episode with you. This is um, Johnny Pemberton, his podcast, Live to Tape. If you don't know Johnny, he was on the show. You can, there's a link in the show notes at creativepeptalk.com slash episodes slash 274, I believe the episode is, um, that we're on right now. And Johnny is an actor and a comedian. He's on the show Superstore. He is a voice actor on shows like uh, Peanut and Pickle, Pickle and Peanut uh, on Disney XD. 
He's hilarious. He's one of my favorite people. He also is a voice actor on Duncan Trussell and Penn Ward's new show, Midnight Gospel, that just dropped on Netflix. I uh, just started watching it. It's incredible and insane. Warning, it's not a kid's show, but it's it's really brilliant and bonkers and psychedelic and crazy. And uh, Johnny does some voices on there too. Um, love this guy. He's uh, I'm a huge fan, and I love this chat that we had. Little warning if you've got tiny ears sitting around you might be a serial killer and a freak but um <laughs> what i mean by that really is if you've got kids around just be warned there's some saucy spicy language on this episode um but here it is me and johnny pemberton having a chat The reason I really want to talk to you right now is I feel like, and in some way, this is probably like the greatest time to be a self-starting creative. Yeah. I mean, I, I get into, uh, I, I've been listening to a lot of, I listened to Duncan Trussell's podcast. Right. I made friends with him. I, I was listening to, he was speaking, speaking with a uh, meditation expert. And then I listened to Esther Perel on Tim Ferriss's podcast. And there's a lot of talk on, you know, not judging how other people grieve and right. letting people so so some people are in a state where they need routine and as much action as they can get to stay at their best and then some people need to like survive and go into survival mode and they don't want to think about creativity so i'm not here to judge anybody about how they need to do it mm -hmm. but if you do want to use this time to do creative work i think that it's I've been calling it the Corona cocoon. I feel like it's this, <laughs> you know, it's this period. It's the belly yeah. of the whale period of you can go in. I've been also, I, you know, I'm really into this idea of like strategic side projects, but right. I, uh, I've been kind of uh, swinging the pendulum to the other side of exploratory side projects. So I think, I think two types of creativity, strategic and, and exploratory. And I think right now is a really good time to be, uh, doing exploratory side projects. Linda Berry, who's like a famous comic uh, uh, artist, mm -hmm. um, said that, you know, I think a lot of people try to go make creative work and say, this is my statement, but she would encourage you to be like, what's your question? Like, ask a question with your work. And, and then, I, and I think also in screenwriting, it's like, you know, pro they say that, you know, a movie that tells you the answer is like propaganda. And like, rather than like posing a question. So I think right now I'm thinking about what are the, uh, what's the kind of work that I can make, not as self-expression, like a statement, but as self-excavation. How do I like, how do I dig myself with creative work, uh, in this time where we're in this like belly of the whale. So like Joseph Campbell would be like, we're all experiencing belly of the whale right now. It's like the waiting yeah, period. Yeah. That's a good point. Cause it's this thing where if you have this chance to experiment i guess it's also a way of saying experiment right yep. is yeah is to, to do something you wouldn't normally do and just to see what happens because there's no stakes yeah because everyone no one's working and there's no there's no uh, tv or films or anything nothing's being made right now on a, on a grand scale so anything yeah. you make is basically just just almost throwaway kind of stuff so you can yeah it takes a lot of this, the pressure off, even though the stakes are so high right now with everything else. It makes those other things not matter as much. Yeah, if you got all that time, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think that's one of the things that when I was getting started, 
Mm-hmm. I wanted to skip. I tell this story on stage about how I wanted to do the like. Uh, I'll start over. Let me just go back a little bit. Okay. When I went to school, we got the time. I, I was like, uh, when I went to school, I wanted to be a gig poster designer, and I uh-huh. and I loved that there. All these artists that I loved had like crystallized their weirdness into a very specific style and voice. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And and I was so cavalier in it almost where I was like, went to school and I asked my tutor, all right, in first year, I want to, uh, I want to find my voice. I want to, I want to find my style. <laughs> and they were like, okay, you're an idiot. Um, and, but their response to me was so, like, they couldn't give me any actionable steps. And that's so much about what my podcast is because I've found like, yes, it, there is a mistake mystery to finding your style. There's a mystery to finding your creative voice, but there's also a bunch of like tactical, practical things you can do to take action towards that thing. Um, and, and, and so anyway, I got into school and I, I joke about it saying like, I'm like, I really want to find my style. And their response was like, find your style your style finds you, you know, like this, <laughs> you know, this, and it made me feel like giving up. It made me feel like if I go into that maze, mm-hmm. I'm not going to, and I have no guarantee of finding anything. I'm just going to die in there. And I'm going to be just like the creative people in my life that, you know, ended in tragedy because I'm not, who knows if it's going to work out. And so I, instead of going into the self-exploration cave of creative work, I wanted to come up with strategic ways of skipping it. So I wanted to, I always say I want to find the warp whistle in Super Mario 3, but for the art career of like, how do I just, how do I just get around having to find myself and get straight to getting a job? Um, And that ended up like biting me, biting me in the ass really bad early on because I didn't put in the work to do the deep self-exploration. And it wasn't until I graduated in the recession, things were going okay. I'd done some tricky tactical tricks. I don't know if you've ever seen my indie rock coloring book, but that like that thing went viral. That helped right. me like launch my career. That was my Super Mario warp whistle. And then recession hit and just like all the, you know, all the fluff and all the all the stuff that all the new stuff that didn't have money, have much roots in the industry was just gone overnight. And that included me because I was just like yeah. a trendy new thing. And so it was about a year after school that I finally said yes to that maze and said, I'm going to do a deep dive into myself with my creative work. And I did this project where I did a new character every weekday for a year. And it was deeply in touch with everything that I really cared about my whole life. And you're working really hard too. So it's that something about that. There's, yeah. there's a thing with that. That's, um, it's hard to remember that. I think. Yeah. It's also, it's even harder to do it, actually do it. Absolutely. I think, uh, yeah, there was something, there's definitely something about showing up every day and putting in time and, and having the discipline of that, that was really instrumental to, breaking out. And I, and I also, I mean, even in that, yeah, I learned all kinds of things in that time. I was doing all kinds of projects that were helping me find myself with my work Mm -hmm. and find, and also develop my craft. But a lot of it was that exploratory stuff. And so, you know, one of the things I think about now is this idea of 
you want a plate? You know, uh, you ever you ever heard? No, Gordon I haven't. Ramsay you want this? a plate? No, <laughs> you on a plate? You, you ever heard Gordon Ramsay say that? Um, I don't ha- I don't think I have. I've heard Gordon Ramsay say a lot of stuff. I haven't heard that one. You want a? Oh, I get it. He's like, yeah. what's what is you on a plate? Yeah. Yeah. So if like if they're from the south and they mm. you know elevate a recipe with grits, they're right. like. This is you on a plate, like, and they're all like, "Man, wow, you really did it!" And I think, I, uh, I think about that all the time. And I've, I've come up with these activities of, you know, what things could you put on this metaphorical plate mm-hmm. where people would see it that knew you really well, and would know it was you without your name. So oh, that's does a that good. Sense? That's a good. Th- I was actually thinking about this just very recently, actually, because I, ha- I have to happen to me a lot where I get um. I just get confused and I kind of forget like, wait, what is the thing that I do again? Like, what is my voice? Like, I just, I just sometimes forget it. And I have yes. to, uh, the thing, somebody did an acting class years ago. I think the first acting class I ever took, they do this thing where they have, um, you sit in a chair in front of the class. You don't say anything at all. And everyone writes down what they think you are. Like who you, like yeah. just by how you look and how you're like sort of, you know, everything about you, just fully judging you based yeah. upon on just how you move and just everything about you. And then you read that back and you see all these assessments of what people have taken from what they, what's their first impression of you. Obviously, people have like a secondary and third impressions a lot of times and we like them for that too. But for the most yeah. part, anyone you're seeing on a on any type of like film or uh, a movie or a TV show, is you're getting a lot of that first, like that 90, first 90% kind of shit. And so yes. it's that thing where you kind of like, you get to uh, get this feedback from people that you can't give yourself because you can't like, I mean, I suppose you can step outside yourself sometimes, but it's really hard to have that type of objective lens on yourself uh, without having someone else do it. And it's yes. the kind of thing where, it's really hard to just get a bunch of people. Like, don't, do I have to hire a focus group to come in and be like, can you please uh, tell me about my like, Who it's am like I? That. Yeah, who yes. am I again? Hire a bunch I, of people in the, off the Vegas Strip and have them sit in a room and look at me and write down like, <laughs> okay, so what do you think, uh, when you just hear my voice, what does that make you think of? Like, stuff like that. Cause, I actually want to do yeah. that now. That sounds yeah. amazing. <laughs> I, I but, thought a lot about how you know, finding your style, finding yourself as, as a person, as an artist mm-hmm. is so much about just find like the crazy journey of finding out what everybody around you already knows. Like, yeah. And they, you, you and know, they know what it I mean? like, they know it so well. They're kind of like, what are you doing? Like, why are you, why are you driving a truck? It's like, yes, I, I, I drive a truck. I love driving a truck. You, you don't drive a truck. Like, why would you when look I was weird in, in high truck. school? I, you know, growing up, I had an older brother, so I had that thing where I was every, you know, everything he did, I wanted to do. Right. And I made his identity my identity. And I remember being in working, I worked at the movie theater, and my boss, who knew me really well, was like, What kind of music you like? And I was like, uh, Tupac, Ja Rule. And they were like, <laughs> What? That's a, I don't understand. And I was like, What do you mean? That's, yeah. And so I feel like it's those little moments where you stack enough of those together. I, I heard like, I think Drew Carey on a podcast the other day talking about how, you know, so much of the game is like just figuring out and coming to terms with how people see you and then mm-hmm. owning it. Just like being like, yeah, that's, that's who I am. And I, and I think I was, uh, 
<laughs> I always, whenever we're on this podcast, I'm always aware of a lot of the examples I will use are from the entertainment world. <laughs> and I'm always thinking I'm safe in my little podcast, <laughs> then nobody will hear it. But then as soon as I'm talking to you, I'm like, I probably can't use this example, but I feel like you hear, I won't say the name, but I feel like you see these people that wanted to be the next Will Ferrell, the next Adam Sandler, the next, you know, right. Jim Carrey and everybody around them knows like who've seen him in roles and stuff. You're like, that's not going to happen. And, and if it is, you're going to do it in such a different way. You can't yeah. just go be Jack Black. Like it's just, it's just not, that's not going to be the, your path. It's going to be, ha have to be a different thing. Yeah. Or it's either that you do have to swim upstream and that's what you do. Yeah. And you have to get used to being tired <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah. or you have to or fucking heartbroken just or kind of whatever. Chill. But I mean, I'm not, but the, the point of that is, is mm -hmm. that even like Zach Galifianakis, you know, nobody that saw his live at the purple onion would have thought that he had the hangover in, in his future. No. So it's not, so he had this thing, like he, he, he has, he rose to the heights of those folks, but he didn't do it by being on Saturday Night Live and he didn't do it by, you know, he, he figured out this own road that was very in touch with who he is. Yeah. And it still was mainstream in a totally different way. And I think that's the other thing I think about all the time is like, that's the, tr the trickiest part is, I, I use the same example over and over, but is like, uh, you know, Gandalf and, and Yoda and your heroes, whoever they are, mm -hmm. they can only take you right to the edge of how far they went, but everything doesn't get really interesting until you walk away from them. And you, and that, that's total wilderness. So as an artist, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It totally does. It makes sense a lot. I mean, it's, a, it's, yeah, I mean, obviously it, it changes a lot for different people, like what, to find what that moment is. And it probably like even yeah. comes back around and refreshes sometimes. And that's their thing. It's probably always reinvention. Yeah, things, and, things are always yeah. changing a lot. So I was talking to some guy the other day. I did, it was guest on his podcast and he was like um, saying something about, I don't know, having to change what he's doing right now because of everything. And I was like, you mean pivot? Right. <laughs> he's like, I've never heard that before. I'm like, yeah, it's like the most <laughs> common thing ever. Because yeah. he was talking about like, Oh my God, I have to do this thing differently. And I was sort of saying how that's what everyone has to do all the time. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Is a, a series of pivots. Like that's, I think actually, yeah, I think about that a lot because I, I feel like, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't actually think I'm a contrarian. I'm pretty like chill, but there's certain things that will rub me the wrong way if I hear them too much. And mm -hmm. one of them is I'm really crazy about like the growth mindset and grit and, and I, and discipline and going after stuff. But at some point that whole thing of like, just keep swimming. I'm just like, yeah, but if you're going the wrong direction, right. you're just getting further and further away. So that to, to me, I'm, I'm all about that series of, you know, ebb and flow of, all right. Like when I started the podcast, I thought, I didn't think, oh, let me try five episodes and see how that goes. You know, I thought I'm going to do a hundred episodes, even if it's the worst thing ever and everybody hates it. That's how much data I need to know. And, you know, in a hundred episodes in, like I, I was still nowhere close to where it was going to go and what, what was going to happen with it. But it gave me enough kind of qualitative data to know that I was on to something. Yeah. 
yeah. to get enough feedback to so you can you can move forward knowing you're not just uh, like pissing in the ocean kind of thing. Yeah, where you feel and, like you're actually doing something. And I think that I did, like I did a, another project early on in my career, an illustration project, where I was doing a bunch of them of where I was doing like. 10 pieces in this world or 10 pieces in that world. And I did one for uh, one that went really wrong that I had to pivot hard away from was I was making new book covers for books from the public domain. So and oh, then yeah. screen printing them. And, uh, and I thought this would be really cool. And I made one for wizard of Oz and Alice in Wonderland and 20,000 leagues under the sea and whatever, uh, Moby Dick. And when I made the Moby Dick one, someone on, uh, this is how stupid I was. Like somebody on my uh, Twitter was like, "Oh man, this is awesome! Uh, how'd you like the book?" And I was like, <laughs> "I didn't uh, read the book." <laughs> I was uh, like, "I don't oh. read fiction." And then I'm like, "Oh, this is not the right path for me. Like I'm not gonna be a book cover illustrator because I don't read fiction. Like it's just not gonna. You know what I mean? But I had to make that stuff to get to that." uncomfortable moment of seeing whatever what everyone everyone in my life would have already known that was not a good fit because right. you know what i'm saying um but that's an example of like i had to you know i had to swim that far out i i made like six or seven of those or something before i realized like oh no. but the cool thing about crossing that off the list was now i never have to go back there it's not like that was a waste it was it was something, it was a, like if I hadn't ever done that in the oh, back of learned. my mind, I could if always be do it, thinking. Like the, you can't put a price on, on doing, what's that saying? Um, no good deed goes unpunished. I always think about yeah. that saying, but uh -huh. I'm thinking about it in the wrong way. Like I always think right. about where if you do have spent a bunch of time doing something, even though it's a total waste, it's not a waste. So that's, that's my version. I think about that phrase, even though I'm thinking about a totally different meaning, but just yes. anything you do is, uh, is something it's, you're just, you're taking steps. As long as you're doing something, you yeah. are, yes. you can't just throw that away. Cause a lot of times I think, especially in entertainment, people get that imposter syndrome. I know I have for sure where it's like, you think you don't deserve something yeah. because of how easily it came to you. And then you realize, like, someone has to be like, dude, what do you mean easy? You've been doing this for this long and right. doing all this stuff like that that prepared you for that. So it just, it seems like that because of your perception of, of, of time and all, because our, our perceptions are so, I mean, we keep talking Temporal. about this, I guess. It's, it's similar to what I was talking about in terms of like who, who you are and what you like, because it's so really hard to have, uh, a, to be objective and have a, have perception and perception is Perception is um, so powerful. It's kind of, I, I sometimes oh, yeah. can't believe the degree with which it affects things. Yeah, I, I, that reminds me of, uh, I think it's, I'm going to, uh, I don't know. I want to say, pff, I have no idea. There's a productivity guy, I cannot right. remember his name, but he has a quote that says, um, your brain is for having ideas, not holding them. Hmm. And I think that for me, and so his, his thing is like, just he will just have this huge in and out box where everything that's on his mind he will write on one sheet of paper and put it in this inbox and then when it's like over with he'll put it he'll get rid of it right but it's just this idea of like for me i make endless amount of lists and i have a few frameworks that i'll use to go back to what you were saying with this whole feeling uncentered as an artist mm -hmm. like this happens to ev this is like this is the main 
thing that feels like my work on the podcast and then in my own life is how do you find your center and stay there as often as possible? It's like a tightrope walk. How do you get back to that true north where you're you know, your energy is in the right place and it, you're able to execute on the kind of work that you want to be doing next. And I feel like there's so much about, we can't hold all that information. This, this is actually why I have this framework that I use. It's a seven part thing. And it's, it sounds really businessy and stuff. It's not, it's, it's just a, it's almost, it's kind of a, almost like a, more like a spiritual path to mm -hmm. me, but it's why I'm so obsessed with a goal, but it's, it's, the goals are nothing about uh, forcing something to happen. It's not anything about achieving. It's purely, for me, a goal is an embodiment of your industry, market, and niche. And I could use art words to say the same thing. We could say your, your field, your genre, and your subgenre. But they're the uh, industry, market, niche, field, genre, subgenre. They're all the same things. In a goal, if you find the goal that perfectly summarizes those three things, then you can have that true north and you can feel integrated towards your center. Does that make sense or am I using too much jargon? I don't know. I, it I can does. I think you better. should keep saying it. Though. I, keep I, saying I, it. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll ask questions. Let me give questions. you an example. <laughs> okay, I'll give you an example of what I mean. Uh, so, well, can, can I interrupt you real quick? Yeah, So you're sure. talking about, when we first started talking today, you were saying how when you got out of school, how you were frustrated because your uh, professors and stuff wouldn't tell you how your style finds you and you had to develop yeah. these tools to do that. This is just part of that? Absolutely. Okay. So this whole thing, this whole framework is stuff. It's not a thing that I invented. In fact, later on, after I wrote it all down, everything, I would see fragments of these seven things in other people's frameworks or perspectives or whatever. So to me, that tells me this isn't a thing I made up. It's a thing that I found. It's like, th this is a real thing. And yeah. I just put some words to it. Um, and so this whole thing comes from studying my favorite artists that were able to stay on that tightrope for the longest amount of time and consistently make stuff happen for them and go deeper and deeper into their best work. You know, mm -hmm. there's always falling off and stuff, whatever here and there. But uh, and what happened from studying them and then trying to communicate it, because I was already teaching at teaching a class at the art school here, through trying to communicate, these people have this thing, I started to notice this pattern. And so that's what this pattern is. And this is how I use this thing on myself weekly. Like I just did it yesterday. Like I, and the idea is... What is uh, it? <laughs> what is it? What could it be? Oh my gosh. So here it is. I'll, t I'll tell you the whole thing. Okay. And then I'll, I'll give you an example of what I mean by it. So one is industry. Two is market. Three is niche. And you can think about those as like concentric circles that make a target. Industry is the big thing that right. you're part of. Like the entertainment industry. Right. The illustration industry. And the market is like the segment of that where you fit. Where your people are thriving. And then the next part down is your niche within that market. What's your little corner of it? Mm -hmm. So then once you have that target, you can summarize that with four, which is your goal. So if you're in the illustration industry, in the market of editorial, like magazines and, and newspapers, and then the niche of, you know, liberal 
uh, heady articles that you want to illustrate about psychology, then your goal could be, I want to make a full page illustration on the psychology page for the New York Times. And that, that goal says everything about your industry market and niche. So you don't have to you don't have to keep any of that in your head once you have that target. Does that make sense? Yeah, and also what you said there was really important is the idea of have you don't have to keep it in your head because I think that's what fucks exactly. up a lot of people is having to like remember constantly remember something. Yes. When it's like it's like if you're driving and you're always looking at the map, how stressful that is and also Absolutely. how yeah, you can't relax. You can't like go into fucking theta if you're or whatever whatever wave state. Of the, <laughs> I mean to the say, uh, but you can't like if you're always checking where you are, then yeah. it's just like it's a shitty place. And I well exactly. So this and the other there's a bunch of things that this does. This and I feel like a lot of creative people. Uh, myself included for a long time would have this knee jerk negative reaction to a goal mm -hmm. for whatever reason. I, and I have actually a bunch of ideas of why I think that is. Uh, but in a, and maybe we can talk about that in a minute, but, but, uh, for me, this single point on the horizon, it's not about achieving it. It's about your center and your focus. Mm -hmm. So even if no matter who you are, whatever, you know, if you're a comedian or if you're uh, a designer or whatever, there's always like, if you can figure out your industry market and niche, and then you can identify the goal that is perfect for that. And when I was talking to um, Seth Godin, and I said to him, He's an illustrator, right? No, wait. He's a marketer. He's like a, he's like a he calls himself a marketer, but okay. he's really um, more like a philosopher. And, I, and, you know, that's a compliment. And uh, he, he's, mm -hmm. a, he's a really brilliant dude. I almost feel like he uses the word marketing as like uh, a smokescreen. Yeah. To, yeah. To get people in and kind of like try to help the world. Cause you know, a lot of people that get into marketing are, are not always doing it for the best reasons. Oh um, yeah. Uh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> marketing yeah. is a, that's one of those sticky places. It really is. It's dicey, dicey shit. So, uh, he, he said, I said to him, I was like, what would you tell an illustrator that wants to work for the New York Times? And the first thing he said was, find a different line. That line is too long. <laughs> Go find, find, you know, find the magazine that's yeah. way closer to your niche. That's way more, a better personal fit for you. And so if you can find that little point on the horizon, like, you know, for comedy right now, it might be, and I, because I'm not immersed in that world, I don't know, but... Uh, you know, I imagine a lot of goals for comedians are have a Netflix special. Yeah. Well, is there or, something that is, what we're going to say, or have a special it's really, it's like a thing where, right. Yeah. Have a special. And I think <laughs> that if you get into the, if you get really granular in your industry market and niche, you can find that actually, you know, the same goes for my kids books. So like if I wanted to, if a lot of illustrators that want to make a kid's book, they might think I want penguin to publish it because it's the first one that comes to mind and they're the biggest, but the closer you get in the granular level of who you really are and where you fit in your industry market niche, you might know actually Chronicle Books, they're an indie publisher, they're, they're a smaller publisher, but they are the perfect fit. And if I focus my energy on making that happen, I will stay within my voice because they're a reflection of me. That's a really good Does point. That yeah, that's a great point because a lot of times stuff is, uh, I mean... People want the thing that's 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 uh what's the word? It's the, it's the fad. So many things are yes, exactly fad driven, 
And there's a better word for that. But there's so many things, especially entertainment, that it's like the, uh, ooh, this this has a lot of cachet right now. And it's yeah, so, 100%. everyone wants that same thing. It's like chasing a moving target. And it's also just this thing where, I mean, yeah. It's, I also think it's kind of like, yeah, exactly that. But it's also kind of like um, hearing thunder and then going and trying to chase that lightning bolt. Like that's a, wow, idea, that's good, man. That's great. You know what I mean? Because it's already <laughs> happened. It's so like, dumb to chase the thunder. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's over. crazy town. Mm-hmm. So, so that I think of, and I, you know, I go and I think about that a lot because I've even recently decided to double down on podcasting and for a long time I wouldn't. And it was this idea of like, you know, there's no, there's no Emmys. This is, I'm, I'm getting my ego. This isn't like my, no, or, this isn't like my normal thoughts. Right. I'm not like this much of an egomaniac where I'm like, well, there's no Oscars for podcasts. So I got to get out of this. Yeah. You know, I don't actually think that, but I find myself on a subconscious level, you know, I want to have a best selling book or a biggest Ted talk because that's what the world says, then you're validated. But podcasts, because they're new, mm-hmm. relatively speaking, they, there's no romance in them. But if you will, I feel like every artist that does their thing in their time, they have to do it in, you know, areas where the, the establishment looks as less than it's like, Oh, you're in, you have a podcast. Wow. Cool. You know what I mean? Like, like I, you know, uh, Picasso, when he starts doing cubism, everybody in the art world's like, this isn't art. This is, you know, but that's all we think of as his work. So it's always always about how do you, like you you cannot be Bob Dylan now. It's not going to happen. Like you can't be the Beatles. You can't be, can't even be, Sufjan Stevens, I don't know, whatever. You like you, that's gone. Yeah, so it's that's done. The lightning it's, that's gone. It's, it's yeah. all done. So much of that stuff is just it's uh, the ship has sailed so long ago, and the idea that you can ever have any sort of traditional career is uh, is laughable, and it's almost like a thing where if you are going to have a traditional career, it's not going to be because you wanted it. It's going to be because it's like it's just sort of how things shook out. Yeah, like you, and it, yeah, and you can't pursue th- that. No, you can't. I think about it too, like those uh, those paths to success are these places where uh, that road has been paved, and there are vendors, cottage industries alongside it to help you get down the road and make it easy on the road and teach you everything you need to know. And you know, and if you're on a road that's that, you know, you're seeing all these people making money off of you, and they're and, and it's all really convenient and clean. Like the treasure's gone at the end of that road. Yeah, it's like, all the, those people. It's like that old shit with the, uh, the people who made the most money in the gold rush were the people who sold the tools. That exactly. <laughs> exact, exactly. Yeah. So I think about how, you know, what you want to look for is where are there still booby traps? Because where's their wilderness? And like it's just, you know, th- like podcasting, when I got into podcasting, was a, a better time than it is now because – all of that information wasn't consolidated to be like, start a podcast yeah. with a click of an app. Like it was, I had to figure out hosting and micro and all it's just messy, messy stuff. But that was all the wilderness. And like, you know, a week I started my podcast launched the same week as serial. And it was like, that was like a good time for, for starting a pot. You know what I, Does that make sense? Yeah. I yeah. mean, I started podcasting before it was anything. And now it's like, it's weird for me because I've had to like really reassess a lot of stuff and I still am right now even. And I even yeah. have this other plan 
how I'm going to change the podcast because you basically can't do the podcasts that I used to do anymore. If you do, they're just there's very two different audiences. You know, there's the mm. the most people who listen to podcast podcasts want really um, what's the word? Just very kind of not mediocre, but just very easily digestible fare. It's not too yeah. long. It's always the same length. It's very, very narrow bandwidth and super consistent. And it's most, yeah, most people don't want something that's like this sort of um, like bizarre thing. They just want mm. something very toned down. And that's, I think that's fine. It's just sure. that things have changed so much to where if you're not going to do that thing that people want, you have to be okay with uh, your podcast not getting the traditional not being seen by the same people because it's just not sure it's a different world that gets into a really interesting question that I'm obsessed with, which is, uh, you know, when I decided, you know, I don't know, eight, seven, seven, eight years ago, something like that, I decided I want to be a good illustrator. Mm -hmm. I had to, I had to figure out what is good illustration. And, and then the design world of the time, which I was, you know, kind of on the periphery of, Designers love talking about what's good design. They just, they're so, like, I don't know why. Dude, they're, they're the just worst. obsessed with it. They <laughs> want to talk about it all the time. So there's all these definitions. Everyone's arguing about it. But in illustration, I hadn't even seen anybody ask that question. Like, mm -hmm. What the hell is illustration trying to do? Why do, like, what is a successful illustration? For, you know, like, what's the, what's the uh, theory? What's the philosophy behind yeah. it? And I didn't see any of that. And, but I thought, but I feel like this pursuit, no matter what you do, you should have, well, I don't, I don't like that. I, I suggest having a definition of good. And, and the reason I say that is, this is one of the reasons why I think comedy is so, especially stand up is so hyper developed as, as a craft yeah. is because the target is so clear laughs. We get laughs and we can measure it. Like we can have, we, have, we but where, with illustration, it was like, was that a successful illustration or not? And you're like, I don't know. How do I measure that? Yeah, it's um, true. But yeah. And so I think podcasts, that's a question I've been asking for three or four years. What is a good podcast? And you, you just hit the nail on the head with all this, like starting to unravel because it's never existed before. We consume it in a totally different way than anything. It has some things in common with other audio spoken word stuff, but it's not the same as radio and it's not the same as a talk. Like if you try to make your podcast like a TED talk every week, it's going to fail because it's, that's too intensive information. Yeah, it's too and much. It's more like an audio book and it, yeah. So you, you've got to figure out what does it mean? What, what are people because they're digesting it passively. And, you know, for, for one thing, like at the time when podcasts started to kick off, lots of people were like, these things are too long. Like people don't want to, you know, Joe Rogan three hour stuff. What, but the truth is certain types of podcasts, they do want that because yeah. they use it to get through long periods of things. Yeah. Like I've had and this so guy I know who worked in a chocolate factory. He listens to my podcast exactly. and he loves like the two hour podcast. He loves them ones that are long as shit. Because if, because if they, as soon as that episode's over, he has to choose another episode. You got to get so, your, gotta wipe the chocolate off your hands. You got to dig out the iPod. You got to do all this stuff. 
Yeah, yes. it's hard. It's, so it's, what is a good podcast is a totally, it's such a good, but that's why to me, that's one of the reasons I've been doubling down on that industry market and niche mm -hmm. just recently. When I did this process with myself recently, I, that's kind of the, the place I uh, went for because it's, the, it's still the Wild West. It's still early days. People don't know really what is a good podcast so there's so much there's still tons of room yeah to figure that out i mean it just seems like the best stuff is just the stuff the people who've done the most of it because it has the most mm. uh I mean, it's like anything if you do something a lot uh, you have like a flu natural fluidity to what you do and that is always nice it's always nice to listen to something that feels like it's not precious and it's not being done from a place of fear it's not from a place of like mm -hmm. You know, you're very relaxed in what you're doing. I completely agree. Yeah. And I also, I think one of my other things that I uh, think a lot about in terms of creativity is the idea of taste. And I don't, yeah, man. I feel like a lot of people, I don't know, we have so much association with what that means. But when I say it, I mean, I'm speaking of like, you, you know, your taste buds, you know, like a sweet tooth has a, a, a taste for sweet things. Or, you know, if you're into beer, you, ha you have something about your palate that reads these different notes. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the other thing going on with the people that succeed in podcasting is they have a good taste for it's a metal detector for Ooh, this is good podcast. This is like what we're doing right now. Like that's a, and, and to me that's, um, yeah, the people that can sense that, that have that taste, they can produce it because they can reverse engineer the recipes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Taste is always a, it's a, so elusive. I sometimes just forget, like, um, I get like really, uh, I don't know, confused and feel like full kind of lost. Cause I'm like, what do I like? I can't remember what I like because I just so, I oftentimes will forget how much stuff I don't like. And it's hard when yeah. there's so many things you're seeing that are being lauded and they're being like uh, getting all this attention and press. And you're like, I don't like this thing. And it's like this weird gnashing of, of, of worlds and like crossing of wires. We're like, oh, why is this thing that people like so much? Why, the, why do I hate it? And I just, it's yeah. not like I hate it because it's popular. It's like, I really just don't find this interesting. And I want to, uh, the stuff that I do find interesting, I find it would be like, wow, this is so much more interesting than this other thing. And it's, I don't know, yeah. to me, I feel like kind of, I get feeling like I'm like I'm lost a bit because I don't know, mm -hmm. uh, like it, sometimes I, I find things like that have to do with nature, like pictures of animals and anything having to do with, the natural world to be so much more interesting than anything on TV we or make, anything, yeah. anything in the celebrity yeah. world whatsoever that I mm. kind of, I just can't even believe that I do what I do. Right. Yeah. But, but I think that's really, uh, I think that totally makes sense because I think a big part of the journey of, of an artist is, um, you, you like something like probably early on you were really into comedy even as a kid or whatever. Yeah. And, ev but eventually, once you start really obsessively trying to dismantle and 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 dis dissect what you know what's funny, what do I like, and you consume tons of things, it's just like a chef, right? Like at first they might just like food, but they once you get deep into it, like you 
uh, you can find you find less and less things that surprise you and yeah. light you up, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, once you're that deep into it, the only thing you can do, and this is where I think like the artist is born, is like, is make things that fulfill all of the things that you love because nothing exists anymore. So it's weird because that means that a lot of people that will get into illustration or get into design or whatever, get, uh, they will lose their taste for what already exists and they only end up, they have to make stuff to light up their taste. Yeah. Buds. You have to make you know the I mean? thing you want to see. Exactly. Because there's, that no, idea. there's so few things that if you, if you start to, have problems finding the things that you want to see and hear and whatever it is, whatever the product is, then you start to get like depressed and you start to like just feel kind of this ennui. But right. it's because you're not if you're if you're dependent upon outside sources for stimulation and you're not finding these novel things anymore, you follow you fall into this this ditch. But especially yeah. if you're not creating the things that you if you're not creating the things that you don't have then you become, that's like a bad place. Yeah. That's a bad place. And it's a, yeah, I think a lot of people get burnout and sick of their stuff yeah, because man. they were The fuel for the first half of their trajectory was other people's work. That was their inspiration. And then when that doesn't do it for them anymore, if they don't convert into that inner inspiration, because now for me, it's like when I get a job, like I, I always have to clarify, not because I'm hurting or anything, but I just don't want to discourage like, you know, a good project coming my way. But when I get a job and it's just like, just do your little style thing on this. I'm, I'm just like, huh? man, that's not, I don't care about style. It doesn't, that, that used to do it for me, but I just am not a fan of illustration like that. Like I used to be. What I'm much more interested in is in things that I have to say mm-hmm. with my style. Like I, and so that's, that's where I find inspiration is, oh, I was listening to this podcast and I was reading this book and then I had that experience and then I had a mental breakthrough that I'd never heard anybody say this idea. And now, and I found an analogy for how to say it. And, and then, then I can use my style and taste for illustration and all that stuff to communicate it. But by the time I do that, illustration is just an afterthought. It doesn't, I don't care. It doesn't. I don't care what the form is, the medium is. I, and that, and so I feel like if you're doing it right in that stage, hopefully you get to a point where you're a little bit like, you know, over the whole hype of the thing. And you're just, yeah. you know what I mean? I don't know if that makes it any sense. It does make sense. Not. The other thing I also kind of noticed this kind of recently that uh, I, I don't know if you think this is true as well, but I think when you get to that place where you're not really finding uh, the stuff that inspires you as much because you have to start creating it, I, yeah. I think this is this sound, it's probably sounds really obvious and maybe even like uh, I don't know just like a like a shit a shithead idea, but um, <laughs> just how much harder it is, how much harder you have to work on your own stuff to create the stuff that you like than it was yeah. before. It's this thing I noticed. I'm like, oh my god, totally this is true. so much harder. I can't believe the degree. It's almost exponentially more difficult than it was six or seven years ago. Def- that's definitely true for me. So like I, <laughs> it's just I fucking crazy though. It sucks. It is crazy. It's yeah, like, it, it, I, it is like I, the, uh, I've made this kid's book this, uh, month. I was like working on this kid's book and it took me so much longer than any other book that I've ever made. And it was because of that. Mm-hmm. It's because I just, there was so much, so many things I needed to do for it to be what I considered good. 
It just, and the same goes for an episode. Like the, the longer the podcast goes, the more time I spend on every episode because I just, it takes that much more. I'm that much pickier in my taste right. for it to, to feel like I got it. Yeah. Yeah. I it's totally it's crazy. I, no one's ever, I never heard anyone say that before. You know, it's weird. Like you hear a lot yeah. of the opposite, like it gets easier, but no one ever, I've never heard anyone say like, Hey, just so you know, um, if you figure out your shit and you find a, find a voice and you really like what you have to say, that it's going to be so much significantly difficult and you have to put in so much more time than you would on anything else. Yeah, I have a theory about that. Oh, I want to hear this. Uh, I, the, my theory is that we might be, that that might be the middle phase. So like one thing I think about when, I feel like you see there's, there's comedians in three camps and I guess I go to them because they, they have so many podcasts. So I've listened to so <laughs> many of, I've listened to it. You know what I mean? Like I just, I've heard their, their path so much more than other artists. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think there's, there's people in three camps, and to me, it seems like it's a, a sequence. So, like, uh, you have people that they 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 don't know what they're doing, uh, they don't know how it works, but they just know that they got to play. And they got to just, and so they they stick with that. And then the next phase is they start realizing there's patterns and there's a craft and there's practice and they start, you know, tearing it down and deconstructing it. But when you do that, that's where it gets really hard. It gets really like muddy because you're so in your head and you're in your, well, I believe it's like your prefrontal cortex when you're in like planning and execution mode. It's very like, not it's, very, play. it's basic. It's, it's kind of like groundwork almost. It's very, it's actual work that is not, yeah, it's not fashion. It's not fashionable. It's not um, interesting. It's not glamorous at all. It's really just like time spent. Yeah, yeah. It's real work. It's not super fun. And but it's in that. But what I think happens is they start going into that deconstruction. And sometimes when you, I think it gets in the in that middle. Even the more you know, the less good the stuff gets because you're so you're so deconstructed and you're so in the not part of your play zone. And so, but then I think you see people, the real masters are the people that go travel through that and return back to play. And I think of it like, um, like sports where, you know, there's the people out just on the court playing and then there are people that learn how to do a jump shot right and how to, you know, practice right and all that. But if they, take that mental game into the game, they're not better because they're in their head. It's a, how can you get past? Cause you can't, you know, it's that you can't write and edit at the same time. Yeah. So it I, has that you, you got to figure out how do you, it's someone said, there's like a really famous one of like, how do you learn all the rules and then forget all the rules and then do it? Yeah. And so I feel like, I know what you're saying there. Time, exactly. I feel like yeah. that for like, in terms of acting, it's a very easy metaphor or way to translate it because it's like if you're just doing improv, you're just, just you're in the moment and you're you're hundred percent playing. Then if you're rehearsing, you're you're going off of that. But I think what I've found yeah. recently is that when the bigger the thing, the the bigger, the more important, the more like uh, I don't know, the more the la the larger the project, and the more you're trying to say, uh, 
it just takes that much more rehearsal. It's almost like an exponential amount of more rehearsal to get to a mm-hmm. place where when you're actually doing the thing, you can be real cavalier and relaxed and play with it. And so That's exactly it just true. takes yeah. so like I found out the hard way a couple of times. I'm trying to develop this this hour long show, just how yeah. much I have to do to get to the place where I can go back to being how it was the first time I did it was fucking gangbusters, right? It was awesome. It was great because it's the first time. And I have this new thing now I realize is that the second show of something is always the worst. It's the worst. I I know exactly what you're talking about. I have the same experience with the talks that I do. I do like a a talk that is kind of in between an educational thing and kind of a one-man show Mm -hmm. thing if I'm so bold to say something. You might as well just say it. I'll say, There's I'm a lot playing. of comedians who have comedy shows show. that aren't funny. So, well, was- okay, maybe it's <laughs> like that. But it's, uh, it, I, you know, I have a great time doing it. But what I learned was, uh, I have to. It, it's similar to when I used to do interviews when I was much less experienced doing that on the podcast. I would do no prep because I'm like, oh, it's just better when it's casual, and then it would bomb, and then I would do crazy prep, and it would go well. But I wouldn't use any of the prep. Yeah, man. And so then I would think, then I'd think, all right, I guess I don't need to prep. And then I'd go into a one with no prep, and then bomb. And so it was like, I was like, oh, I need to back and forth, back prep and forth. like a maniac, prep like a maniac, and then the same goes for when I go on stage to do my talk, prep like freaking crazy. But then the second I go on stage, forget it, just completely disconnect with all of the prep and let it be. It's I, you know, I've read. Uh, I was reading this book about tennis. It's just. This like muscle memory. Just let your, once you've packed it in there, then it's about let your subconscious do the job. Don't think about your form. Don't think about, I got to make sure I hit all those points. Just go, just flow. Yeah. Just do, yeah. Yeah, that's so true. That's one of those things where um, it's like, it's the kind of thing I knew for a long time. I guess it, it took me till very recently to realize that for myself, uh, when it's something I'm doing, I have to work just so much more on the thing in terms of preparation than I would for someone else's thing because it's like almost like I I can't fool myself. Mm-hmm. I can fool. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's that weird thing where if you're stepping into someone else's thing, you can, I can play so easily. But when I can't, yep. it's so much harder to play with yourself. That's a quote for the, of the week. It's, <laughs> uh, I, I, I had a, my, my brother and my dad both do public speaking in their professional work. And they're always like, cannot believe how much energy I put into prepping for my talks. Like, it, and it is pretty insane. Like, it, it's a, I put, you know, I go through a crazy process. But I think once you have tasted the joy of the flow state after a preparation like that, that's where you get those people. And I think you see it in standups too. Like, that, that's why they go through months and months and months of prepping and testing and, you know, all that stuff. Because when you do, it's like an out of body experience. When you're that, in in the in the pocket there like you're like i'll do anything for this this is better than drugs this is better than sex it is like it's an amazing feeling it's to so be funny you that. say that because i was also was about to say it's like being a heroin addict where it's like i've been on heroin for so long that it takes so much more heroin to get me high now 
And I yes. just I keep forgetting like that I, how much heroin I have to do to get high. I have to do so much heroin. I'm like, really? This much heroin? I have to do this much? And my body's like, yeah, man. You have to do an hour of heroin. Otherwise, you won't. It just won't work. You, you won't, won't get the it. fucking jazz. Yeah. Just, I'm going to take this that audio clip out of context. <laughs> but, uh, I need to do but, so uh, much. My, my tolerance is just, my tolerance is astronomical now. It's ridiculous. Yes. But I think, I, just to push back on it, because I think that soils the truth of it. The reason why, to me, it's so much better than heroin or whatever. Right. I wouldn't know. I've never done heroin. But the uh, is because I think we're primarily uh, social animals. And when you're doing something, you're making a gift for other people with that much love and intention and, and everything, and you're watching it be received. That's why you're on the planet. So when you... When you're doing that, you prep this whole show for somebody and you watch people enjoy it, you're like, ah, I'm, I matter. And that, it's meaning. Me, and I know there's all kinds of ways that can get out of hand. And I'm sure, I mean, every, lots of artists have been there too. But I actually think, I do think that's why we're here. And I think if you can figure out how to matter to other people intentionally, I do think that's a good thing. I th I'm sure there's a lot of, Buddhists and such that would disagree with that kind of attachment. I don't know. Like I think they would actually kind of what you just said sounds very Buddhist in that sense. There's a lot of Buddhist philosophy where I find it's um, it kind of goes both ways, where something yeah. that seems like it would be antithetical to it is actually 100% in line with it. It's kind of that whole the things that wrap around the back end, like you've got like crazy right wing. Uh, right, right wing uh, preppers who are very similar yeah. to a lot of like super left wing yes. commies who, when yes. they meet on the street, like you're into this. Yeah, I'm into that too. Who are you voting for? Right? Like, no, <laughs> it's when it's like yeah. the same fucking, they're really similar. Yes. The, yeah. That's one of the things that is the most attractive about Buddhism to me is that it is so non-dual. Oh, it's, it's super so pliable much. and it can be, you can put it on yeah. anything. You can be a Buddhist Catholic. Yes. Yeah. So I, I do think that that because, and I think that's, that's truer to experience is that there's this, you know, the Niels Bohr quote of, you know, the opposite of a profound truth might be another profound truth. That's the nature of truth. <laughs> I don't think I've heard that before. It's a good, it's a good quote. He's a physicist, I, right? I, Astrophysicist? Yeah. I th yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think that, I feel like that Buddhism does that really well. Whereas there, a lot of other religions are more like, uh, toddler, oh, man, I'm getting, I'm just like, just say it effing with the whole, uh, religious system. No, but I think that there's a, um, or at least the way they're interpreted and practiced. I'll say that that's safer yeah. in the modern world is more like a toddler consciousness. I keep, I've been thinking about this all the time. Like the, like when you have a toddler, you don't tell the toddler, okay, this is the oven. It's, it's used for a lot of great things. It cannot, no, you say oven is bad. It's black and yeah. white. There's, there's no other, you know what I mean? Um, whereas once you get older, you realize like, oh, reality is a lot. There's a lot more nuance yeah. to truth. And it's just, you know. Mm -hmm. But you can't yeah. tell the toddler yeah. that because the toddler's like, you'll figure it out. But no. right now you have to know this will kill you. Or yes, at least exactly. be very expensive to fix. And you yeah, may lose yeah. your hand or, you know, 
That kind of shit. Yeah. Burn your face off. You know what? When I was a kid, I wish my mom would have told me that about the oven. This is a weird thing that I don't know. I don't know if I've ever talked about this thing, but when I was like, I don't know, six years old, I was at my mom's house and she's, uh, she's like ADHD weirdo, like not, not the best parent. I'm sorry, mom. She'll never hear okay. it. It's, I love her, but she's not, she wasn't made to be a mom. Uh, and she left the, uh, the iron on and I went in there and I put it on my face. How old were you? This, I think I was like six. Wow. And then bef- before I realized what had happened, I put it on the other side and evened it. <laughs> you look great, Andy. You look fucking good, man, for a kid who put a fucking iron know, on his face. Luckily, well, my dad is a good dad and he changed my gauze and can you imagine like I spent the weekend with her like once a month or something and then she passed me back off to my dad like take him to the hospital put this band you're gonna have to remove these like that's insane man that's fucking a good friend of mine uh, his grandma his mother was watching his kid and the little kid did the classic thing of pulled over the the tea, the teapot on herself and got, she's like a two-year-old, always burns all over her chest and stuff. Lord. She's great now, oh, but man, Lord. fucking kids are, Sheesh. kids are goddamn what a tough. Nightmare. Man, I, when I, I have this vivid imagination, so I would say like once a day with my kids, I will like, I'll think about what if they just ran out into the road and got hit by a car. And I play the movie in my mind to the point of I always have a physical reaction. Like if you're watching, if you were watching me all the time, you would see me once a day be like, (laughs) 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 and it happens all the time. Cause I'll think, what if this, what if when my kid comes down in the middle of the night, he just falls down the stairs and I just have this super vivid memory or, you know, picture Mm. of what that would look like. It's like trauma. Do you meditate? Man, kids. I don't, no, I don't meditate. Uh, I, and and I hey I don't know why I not have a weird yeah, why, why not, not? Uh, it sounds boring that's the main that's the truth <laughs> it, sounds it sounds boring okay and actually uh, I, and I'm not saying like I'm very driven by not being okay. bored that's and I think that's the quintessential ADHD thing I don't think everybody knows that I think that's it is that ADHD you don't have good executive function so you're you're like a toddler brain. And you're just like, nope, don't want to do that. It sounds boring. That, like, and, and so I don't, that's why I don't want to meditate. But I will say, no, what were you going to say? Well, I mean, I um, what you're talking about, like having that mental thing. So yeah. when I learned meditation years ago, they talk about how um, there's no bad thoughts, right? Everything you're thinking uh-huh. is fine. There's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of ideas about meditation that are completely wrong. I miss guy, the whole idea of clearing right. your mind. Somehow that got out there and it's absolute fucking hokum. Yeah. And uh, because it's like the the analogy that I was told was that it's like, do you want to clear your your heart of blood? No, your heart's Mm. your heart's job is to pump blood. So and your brain's job is to think. So in meditation, you are definitely thinking stuff. And a lot of times, what happens in meditation is you think something terrible. I'll think about like, you know, something like a like me getting my hand chopped off with an axe or just something that mm-hmm. makes me do that. And it happens all the time, but I think of it as, and I think this is other people have talked about this. Like meditation teachers have talked about how, um, meditation is sort of like a, like a, like a digester for negativity. It mm. like takes it mm. and it contextualizes it or like a white blood cell, white blood cell wraps mm. around the, the, uh, invader and 
carries it out. It digests it. And so I think about a lot of times when you think about something bad, you're almost you're preparing yourself for it to happen. So it it won't be as it won't be as bad. Like I used when I was working on this right. TV show, yeah, it was way dangerous. Sense. I would always imagine the different ways I could die in the situation we were shooting. It was like super dangerous mm. stuff. I was yeah. like, okay, I could this could happen, this could happen, this could happen, and it seems like I'm being super morbid. But actually, I think it's the opposite, where it's like, I really, really don't want to die, so I'm going to think about all the ways I could die, so I don't... Because I think death wants to surprise you. Mm. <laughs> I really do. I honestly think... I think you can, you can cheat death by, by fucking... You know how, how a mountain lion or a tiger doesn't really attack you if you're looking at it? Uh-huh. Same way. I think it's that. Man, that is so... I'm gonna be. Th- I'm gonna chew on that. That's cr- so. I think you crazy. thinking about that stuff is probably. I I doubt that. You, yeah, it's you like being prepared I mean, for it, this it reaction. Makes me this a better parent than my mom. Like, and and I mean, it's so funny because my mom doesn't have internet, mm-hmm. so I literally can say whatever I want about her. And I we don't have a great relationship, but but I, it does. That's the thing that I don't think that she did. She you know she didn't think. Oh, he could take this iron and put it on his face. But I think about that stuff all the time. So I'm pretty good for the most part, you know, knock on wood, for like, you know, stopping catastrophe with my kids. That is my, that's my primary goal for creative people is how do you get centered? Because I feel like we all know the difference between creating from a place of, inspiration centered your you know intention and then just being like what the hell am i doing you know who am i what i don't know what's going on like yeah when you said that you're talking about the uh the circle like the industry the um yeah market market the niche and then the goal you said there was a seven part thing what is the seven part thing yeah i'll give you the rest of it there's also this is kind of a plug but it's no not, actually it's really do, do plug please plug it's a i have a skillshare class it's about this, and and it, you know, there, there you go, and it has all of them. But let I'll me tell just you announce it real right quick. Now. Hold on. The Andy J Pizza Skillshare class. You look it up under Andy. Is that correct, Andy J Pizza? Yep. Andy J Pizza on Skillshare will teach you how to hone in on your creative profession in a way that you didn't think was possible before. <laughs> that's uh, that. That's it. The. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's yeah. So the, the seven steps, industry, market, niche, goal, project. So the project is then a self-initiated thing you do. And the idea with that is it mirrors your goal exactly. So is, you know, one of the examples I go to all the time is uh, Goodwill Hunting is a good example. They wrote the movie that they wanted to be cast in. Right. Right. So that, and the more clearly defined your industry, market, niche and goal, the more you can do that on purpose. And I love that example of Goodwill Hunting because I feel like they they didn't mirror it well enough for both of them. Mm-hmm. So like I've heard them talk about how they thought they were giving Ben a great part because he has the big monologues in the movie and it's like a character. But what happens is if you don't mirror your project to how you want to be perceived and typecast, you're putting all this in, like everyone watched that movie and then thought Matt's a genius and Ben's a towny idiot. Like it, that, so you, because we, we typecast people with that surface level thing, you know what I mean? So you should be in control of that with the projects you make of saying, this is who I want you to know that I am rather than 
leave all these things up to chance. So making your own project is your chance to do that. That's uh, five. Six is uh, is finding a backdoor. So and that's it's the marketing component. And so this is about how to get your project in the door where you don't go to the front door of the Death Star. You got to find the what what is it the the, the exhaust yeah valve, right yeah so my whole thing you don't know, like when I was trying to get into band posters I didn't just go to my favorite band I went to my favorite band's favorite band because they're more critically acclaimed and lesser known so like back to that Seth Godin thing the lines way smaller so. My first band posters were people who had their email address published to their website and all of my, and a lot of my favorite bands love these bands, but you know, they're not getting emails all the time from illustrators wanting to do posters mm -hmm. for them. So that's taking that project, finding your back door to get in, get into the place you want to get. Um, and then the last one is the reinvent pivot. So it makes the whole thing a cyclical process where you're just doing this over and over in your career. And it's, and it's a, that's, I think of it as like, this is the life cycle of a thriving creative practice. So, and the reinvention point, you know, I always think about, um, Lauren Michaels was talking shit about Chevy Chase saying like the, the difference between him and Steve Martin is Steve Martin had like six careers and Chevy Chase just had one groove and you stay in that groove long enough and it's a rut, mm -hmm. not a groove. So you're, and I think, so the, I think that's the natural life cycle is that once you've done that project and you've tried to get it in back doors, then you step back and you, you, I, in the class we have this flow chart. It's just a, it's not a technical thing, but it helps you to go reverse and reverse look at your plan and say, where did this thing go wrong? Like for, for instance, like the, the, the book illustration thing I did, that was, I went wrong in the market. Like I was in the right industry, it was illustration, but the market was the wrong thing. And then there were times where the goal was the wrong thing, but you can just work backwards and be like, oh, I need to do a new project and mirror it. I didn't mirror it well enough to the goal or the goal was the wrong goal or you know, whatever. That's the, that's the whole Seven, I, lo I love that. That's great. And people can check all this stuff out on your podcast as well, right? True. Yeah. We talk about it all the time. That, that's kind of the, that's one of the main through lines of all the, all the shows is this process that I use and thing I use. It's a tool for finding my mall map. You are here thing. I always think about it like, where am I in this journey? What part am I stuck in? And as soon as I know that I'm a lot more centered. I'm like, Oh, I need to find my niche. Like I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I'm without a goal. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm trying to find where that is. Yeah, I think now is such a great time. Like, I just, like, when I, when I thought to have you on the podcast right now, it just seems like, I don't know, it keeps, to me, it keeps seeming even more and more like just a great time to do the thing you haven't done that you want to do because it's kind of like it's like free play right now. You, you can yeah. get with Because one of the biggest hurdles, I think, for a lot of people is like quitting your job or basically having the initiative to say, hey, what I want to do is important enough to where I can like take up space and, and say it out loud. Like, I want to do this and not mm -hmm. do that. And it's super, super hard for people and understandably so. And so I think like right now is almost like a, it's like a, you know, it's like that window of time where everyone's so freaked out. There's so much stress right now. Um, this is what I kind of keep thinking is, um, I was talking to my wife Britt about this because she's, she's very, yeah. very wise in a lot of these things that, that make me like, she just understands it so much more. But like the idea of mm -hmm. um, kind of like 
right now I feel like it's a uh, time when you can, you don't have to worry about what anyone's thinking about what you're doing. You don't have to be judgmental or feel any shame about anything because there's so much of that going around for everything else that's sucking all that up. And also, you're not going to fucking make it through this shit if you do feel shame or guilt or any weird emotions around that because it's going to fucking break you down because you're stuck on this little hovel and you you don't have the normal outlet, so you have to get your shit together. Otherwise, you're going to turn into dust. Yes. Yep. And that, that, that's where when everything breaks down, that's where you're able to look into the shadow self, the part that you've been ho- holding back at arm's length, trying to ignore. That's w- and, and that's why uh, in episode 269 of my podcast, I talk about um, I use the way I use my process. Part of the reason I built that creative journey process is because you know, one fundamental to my worldview, as cliche as it might be, is uh, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. So I use that narrative uh, in a similar way to when I'm feeling like I've lost the thread of my life and I feel like I'm tetherless, then I ground myself in narrative, which is the hero's journey. And I look through the phases and I say, which one looks most like my life right now so that I can fall into that and, f- and figure out what do you do? What does the hero do when he's in the bell- belly of the whale? And so as I was looking around, I'm like, first of all, it's amazing. Our whole world for the first time, maybe ever is in the same stage of the journey. So like there might even be this amazing emergent quality of what happens where we all come together as a super species because I don't, that's crazy futurist right. optimism, but I'm just saying like, there's some interesting thing that can happen when we're all in the same place at the same time. You look at the belly of the whale this is what I, I was talking about in that episode, uh, that what they do, the character has to face what they're repressing or face the call that they're refusing. And so that's a great time to step back and set, you know, in the call you're refusing, that's Jonah and the whale where he's refusing to go to that land that God tells him to go. So that's when he's in the belly of the whale. But in Star Wars, it's Han and Leia, when they go in the cave, that's really a worm, they're repressing their feelings for mm-hmm. each other. So they got to face their repre- that repression. So you're, I feel like you're totally right. This is a, such a pivotal moment for creative people or anybody to step back and say, what's the shit that I've been pretending isn't there? What's the stuff that I've wanted to explore so bad that's so true to me, but I've just been, I've had all the excuses of time and money and sh- shame and parental judgment and all that stuff. All that's gone. So now is the time to go into the cave that uh, Joseph Campbell to say, you know, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. What's the cave in you and your, your taste and all that, that, that it's time. This is the time to go in that cave. This is the time. Go into the cave. Go in the cave. Go in there. Find some good stuff. Andy J. Pizza. Podcast is Creative Pep Talks. It's uh, where the yes. finest podcasts are sold online. And it's also for free. <laughs> it's worth every Check penny. it out. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate yep. it, man. Thanks for having me, man. This was very energizing yeah. for my soul. For real. Yes. Great. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to hit um, end meeting now. Ready? Okay. Three, hey. two, one.
huge thanks to Johnny for having me back on his show. Go check his show out live to tape. He's got a bunch of good guests like Duncan Trussell, creator of uh, Midnight Gospel, and Tim Meadows has been on there, his mom. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love Johnny. I love his podcast. Uh, he's one of the most hilarious people I know. Uh, go check it out. Also, his wife is an illustrator, a really great illustrator, and she actually has some bandanas on for sale, which is timely. You can go to sleepybrit.com to pick those up. We have one of those bandanas, and we, we use it as a dog bandana because it's got dogs printed all over it, and it looks very cute on my dog, Moki. Uh, Moki's named after Moki Fraggle, just in case you wanted to know. Um, yeah, sleepy, sleepybrit.store is where you can get those, and you can go check out her work. It's really great. Quick shout out to uh, our latest Patreon backer. Let's say uh, it's Megan Hildebrand, contemporary Canadian painter. You can go to meganhildebrand.com to see her work. It's trippy and bonkers and beautiful. Uh, lots of cool stuff going on there. Huge thanks to Megan for backing the podcast. Couldn't do this thing without you and, and the rest of the Patreon backers right now. Um, help us to get to 500 backers so we can take this show to the next level. Uh, thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack and thanks to Ryan Appleton. He's been, he's my agent and also co-founder of our new artist management agency, CoLoop. And he's helped me uh, edit the show and, and give me editorial notes and, and acted as a kind of producer of sorts recently. And it's been really, really helpful. So if the show's sounding better, you have Ryan to thanks. If it's sounding worse, you have him to blame. Um, so send him your hate mail. Uh, no, it's definitely better. All right. Thank you for listening. I hope this episode jazzed you up for the rest of the week while you're in lockdown. Speak to you all soon until we speak again. You know what to do. <laughs> Stay pepped up. Thank you.